Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. John Fitzgerald has over 20 years of experience in the independent film, internet, and film festival communities. As a filmmaker with Cause Pictures, John has produced a number of award-winning social impact documentaries, and as a consultant, he has guided many independent film projects through the maze of festivals and hybrid distribution models. As a co-founder of the Slam Dance Film Festival in 1995, he led the event the next two seasons before being named the festival director for the prestigious AFI Film Festival in 1997. Wanting to provide emerging social impact filmmakers with the tools to bring their films to life, John authored his first book in October of 2012 entitled Filmmaking for Change, Make Films That Transform the World. The second edition was published in October of this year, 2017. And John Fitzgerald's book is published by your publisher, Carol, Michael, Michael Weezy, right? Right, Claire. And Michael Weezy, I think they have the best array of filmmaking books in the United States. And I love the fact that I get to work with him, and I'm sure you do too, John. Don't you find him to be a lovely man? Yeah, he's terrific. I've had an opportunity to to do panels with him in the past, and he's just he's a great guy, great company. Great company, right? Well, your new edition of Filmmaking for Change: um, colon, Making Films That Transform the World is a book that is a really wonderful source of information for filmmakers, and specifically, and uh, for those who want to create documentaries that can bring about change. I get a lot of those coming through from the Heart Productions because we run grants every year, and I love the social justice uh, documentaries. And I want you to know that I think you've done an excellent job of, of putting guidance for filmmakers into this book. So I was just wondering, uh, why were you asked to write the second edition at this time? Well, I think it's a combination of reasons, but it, it all kind of circles back to um, kind of timing for for where we are in the world. I think certainly there's there's been a lot of drama, and uh, movements are being created all over the world. Um, you've got the, the political strife and Trump, and it just it just seems like everywhere you turn, there's different issues coming to the head. And what we've seen in the last five to ten years is a number of aspiring and emerging filmmakers that uh, perhaps weren't necessarily from the filmmaking space uh, kind of move into uh, movie production. And uh, some of the projects that I talk about in Filmmaking for Change, <clears throat> excuse me, were in fact projects that were conceived by, by non-filmmakers that, that wanted a vehicle to share their message. And, and film is a terrific tool in, in, in communication. So, 
I think the fact that that a lot of filmmakers were were turning to the camera to to share stories and and, and talk about issues is is part of the reason. And I, I think that the other certainly has to do with the fact that there's there's been a great increase in interest in in social impact movies and, and primarily, as you said, documentary that we've seen uh, thanks to you know Netflix and HBO and some of the other platforms that have really brought attention to this genre. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I see more and more first-time filmmakers coming to the grant. Um, it's just, it's exploded. Documentaries are hot now, um, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been in the festival business for for more than 20 years now, and it's it's really amazing just to see the evolution of documentary as a genre and, uh, you know, you go to Sundance, you go to Telluride, you go to some of these festivals, and and, and a lot of times the, the hot films, the buzz films, are, are in the documentary space. Exactly. Yes, and it's so much fun to work with those <clears throat> filmmakers because they are so dedicated. Uh, there's more. There, there's so much heart in these films, and the filmmakers are totally connected to the product. So, well, tell us now what's new in your second edition. Well, I think the, the the primary section of the book that is new is is what I call activation, which is really about the the concept of taking the the inspiration from the film, you know, that was hopefully engaging enough to to want the viewer to to take action. Um, it, it provides a tool set. So, for example, let's say you watch a movie about, uh, you know, dolphin slaughter in Japan and you want to sign a petition. You know, there, there has to be a, a, an avenue to, to advise viewers where to go to get involved, to take action. And I think exactly. what happens with a lot of these filmmakers is there's not a clear enough call to action. And And so what we've seen in the last few years is a, a greater emphasis on providing the, the call to action to the viewer, whether again, it's sign a petition, it's make a donation, it's create a movement, whatever that case may be. And you've got a number of different organizations, uh, the Lear Center at USC doing great things, measuring the impact of these, um, these social impact films, you know, on a specific category, whether it's environment, education, you've got journeys in film, creating curriculum and, and, and toolkits around these movies that can really help to educate and, and feed into the education system. So there's a lot of different organizations. You've got Creative Visions. So many of these companies are actually out there not just supporting the production of these projects, but taking it to the next step of actually what I call activation and helping people get involved. Yes, I think there's been several articles about the fact that documentaries with that intent in them that, that where they give you actions to support the, uh, the theme of the film uh, get much more uh, praise and attention than those who simply bring us the problem and say we have a problem, but they don't give us any solutions. That's, that can be very disappointing when you see that. And you feel helpless. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a challenge because 
I, I started a company called Cause Cinema, and, and the idea is, in fact, just that, is, what, you know, what do you do if you see a film and you want to find out more about that cause? Well, you, you, sometimes the film doesn't actually say it. Sometimes the film doesn't have a call to action at the end of the, of the titles, if you will. And, and so what I'm trying to do with Cause Cinema is actually guide audiences to the best of these social impact movies because, as we know, there are thousands of movies now in the carousels of Amazon and Netflix, and it's hard to find the best ones. But, but equally important is the the opportunity to really give audiences a chance to to click on links to go to that specific issues, um, you know, sites whether it's whether it's a, a non for profit or it's the actual initiative itself. Again, it could be a signing of a petition. Whatever the case may be, people need to know where to go, and I think that's important. Right, giving them direction. Well, I'd love to cover several chapters today, so I want to start with the narrative structure. Can you give us some uh, information out of that section of your wonderful book? Sure. Well, I think the most important part was, and, and I know we've been talking a lot about documentary here, so I'll stay on that path, but just to just to be clear to your listeners, I do believe that there is a, a growing interest in, in social impact films that are of narrative structure, and, and the book covers that as well. It just happens that most documentaries are kind of naturally falling into that category. But um, one of the things that I found most interesting would, when I was developing the ideas for, for the first edition, and I, of course, use the same idea in the second, is, is the 12 stages of the journey and Joseph Campbell. And the whole idea that we've seen, especially in the documentary space, kind of an, an evolution, I believe, of, of story structure and style. And, you know, for a long time, documentary kind of sadly had the reputation of kind of static camera and talking heads and, and, and some would even say boring. And, and we've seen a major shift and, and you could look back to films like the cove that really made a difference. Um, and, and, and you see that movie and it really feels like a thriller, you know, yes. the, the work that went into that movie and the structure of that movie, there's a beginning, a middle and an end and, and you're on the edge of your seat. So you're, you're being educated, and, and they're obviously focusing on a cause, but the structure and style and tone really felt like a narrative movie. So what I tried to do with, with my films, I, I've made a handful of documentaries, was take the ideas, and in fact, another Michael Weesey, um, project, uh book. There's two books um, that, that were a huge influence influence on me, um, the hero's journey being the center and the focus of them. Um, the myth in the movies, certainly one of them, and it really talks about the, the, the Joseph Campbell structure and the 12 stages of the journey. So it's, it, it's almost diving deeper into the idea of a three-act structure, which, of course, a lot of screenplay books talk about. Right. But it takes it another step, and it talks about you know creating the ordinary world and the, the call to adventure and, and then, of course, eventually crossing the threshold, which in kind of more traditional screenplay structure would be called the first plot point. You know, so I, I use that structure in the documentaries that I've made, and I thought it would be helpful to incorporate into this book so that when somebody has an idea 
for a movie, you know, when you shoot a documentary, you, you don't always know what you're going to get. You know, you're going to interview certain people. You have, you have heroes, you have experts, you have mentors, you have different characters that are, that are, you know, participants in your story, but you don't really know what you're going to end, end up with. And, and it's clearly made in the editing room, but you can, you can kind of block it out on a dry erase board in terms of what you think the setup could be, who are the players and at what point do you do you kind of trigger, you know, the the the, the crossing the threshold, if if you will. So that's really what I talk about in terms of the story structure and the development uh, before we move into production. Is is what what are the what are these elements that you need to cover to give you the the the, the key pieces of a storyline that can really keep audiences interested. Well, for a documentary, that uh, that is a brilliant idea because they're going out to get interviews to create their first fundraising trailer. And you'd be surprised at how many people say to me, I'm shooting tomorrow and I hope I get some good answers for my trailer. And I say, well, what what is the storyline for the trailer? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to wait and see what they say. And uh, so, and that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Having this kind of a story structure in place would immediately give you the questions you need to ask, ask to get the answers that will propel your story forward, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I do think that there is some truth to the idea that you don't know what the responses are going to be from your interviews, but I do know that if you if you start with the core concept in mind. And, you know, what is the story about? You know, who, what is the hero trying to achieve? I mean, that that has to anchor everything. It has to. And then you You're back right. in everything else from there. And sometimes you have to ask the same question two or three times, and then you get the answer that will really be the, moving the story forward. That's the, the quote you need or the statement you need in your trailer to get people to understand the gist of the story. So this, mm-hmm. you say, Myth in a Movie is the title of the book with the 12? Yeah, Myth in the Movies is one of the books by my Michael Weesey Productions. They're the ones that produced your book and, and my book. So they have a few different books um, that, that, that connect the dots in terms of, of, of that story structure. Um, I'm going to blank on the other one. One is myth in the movies. Um, Vogler, I believe is, is the author, but okay. if you, if, if you go to mwp.com in any search in the, in the screenwriting, there's, there's two that are very obvious, one is more about the story structure of of writing these types of projects, and then another one actually breaks down a number of different genres and films that we all know about, like Star Wars, for example, you know that we've all heard of that we never thought of in terms of the structure and and, and breaking it down into a, a hero's journey sequencing and it, it it's really interesting how it breaks them all down. That's great. Well, uh, tell us uh, some things that will help filmmakers learn more about development from your case study of your own film, The Back Nine. Well, I think, uh, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about The Back Nine, but, you know, perhaps more importantly, 
when I talk to students about I'm teaching a film class now with this book as the as the model, and I think the idea is you need to really think through. It, you know, if you knew the idea from the beginning, then you know how to develop it out, and you can use the book to kind of help guide you. But some people just know that they're more they're more interested in developing an idea for a movie that's in this social impact space. They want to, they want a story with a message or, or some social relevance. And I think that there are so many ideas out there now, whether it's a subject that's talked about on 60 minutes or it's in a magazine or it's in a newspaper article or one of the many different blogging platforms that raise different questions and issues, or you could focus on a specific category. You know, some people are really interested in, in what's happening with, with animal rights some people are more interested in the environment. And then, of course, you've got a lot of folks focused on education. So, you know, if you're developing an idea and you know what genre you want to be in, you can find sources in that category and then develop a storyline from the heroes that are, that are there. And with the Back Nine, in some ways it was less of a, quote, issue movie. It was more about the idea that I think that there's a – there can be a feeling that as you get older in life that there's that your your opportunities to achieve kind of diminish and what i wanted to prove with that movie was that it was never too late to become what you wanted to be and 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 that's that's really all it really started with and i was literally playing golf in palm springs and i thought wow i'm about to be 40 i wonder if it would be possible with the right training and instruction to see if you could become a professional athlete, if you kind of took a deeper dive, even starting at the age of 40. So it became much less, quite honestly, about becoming a professional golfer. That wasn't something I was going to do. It was more about the challenge and how good could you get and could you really kind of have a major shift in sport that late in life. But what I realized over the course of the journey was it was much less about golf and much more about just, you know, kind of personal drive and perseverance. And I I, I did get a number of emails over the years because the movie was made, uh, you know, what, seven seven years ago. But I get emails every now and then and somebody says, you know, I kind of wanted to be an architect, but I got a little older and I got stuck in this job and then I kind of let that dream go and thanks to your movie, I'm, I'm chasing that dream. And, and there's been others in different categories. So it's not just a sport thing. It's more about it's never too late. And that was the message. But I have to say of, of the handful of documentaries I've made, that's probably the least issue-based of all of them. Right. So, I, well, I mean, I can tell you in, in just a, well, a just few moments. Well, just tell us what, it, it, what some you of the other ones that, filmmakers can, yeah, can learn about development. Well, well yeah, and I think that, that, you know, the key is that, again, there are a lot of people listening that, that may not have a film background or that are just kind of getting their feet wet. And, and it can be intimidating if you don't have a lot of experience or a degree in film or what have you. And I think what I tried to demonstrate with this book with some of the other examples, you take a film like uh, Warrior One, for example. So Jill Wheeler um, runs a company called WellFit, where she really works with women in, in a lot of different areas, but she's she's a, a guru and a yoga teacher and 
She works with physical fitness and adventure therapy, and she does it all. But what she really wanted to do was create a, a tool for the empowerment and leadership for young girls and created a program around that. But she wasn't a filmmaker. She, you know, she's a, she was essentially a, 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 a therapist and a, and a mental adventure guide, <laughs> you know. So it wasn't her, her – she didn't have the background. So she, she and I had met at a film festival where she was on a board, and she said, I have an idea for a, a movie, but I don't really know how to structure it and, and how, to, how to really bring it from start to finish. So in a nutshell – I helped her by creating a blueprint of what the story could look like. She wanted to take a team of girls that were underprivileged and, and go through a training process. And then that would culminate, assuming they made it through the program in a trip to Machu Picchu and a, and a trek to the, to the top. So it really, it really helped these girls get on a better path and, and, and demonstrated that they did have, leadership qualities and that they could develop and build confidence. So that was a really good example of, of, of a woman who had an idea and a story and an issue. And then she created a toolkit around it. So she knew that she wanted to use this as a vehicle to play for kids and play in schools. And, and of course it's entertaining, you know, there's a three act structure to it and you, you get to meet all these kids and where they're from. And then you, and then they have their, they're, um, you know, crossing the threshold. They literally get on a plane and fly to, to Peru. So all of those things were developed by somebody who didn't have a lot of experience, and I kind of break that down a little bit more in, in, in filmmaking for change. And, and that's one of, of, of a few other examples that I give. I did another film on breastfeeding that, where two lactation consultants came to me and said, we have a big problem with with breastfeeding in America. We have a horrible success rate. We need to fix this problem. Here's what we think, and tell us how we can make a movie about it, make it interesting. So, again, we got on a dry erase board and broke down all the ideas and talked about the different experts and researched who, what countries were doing this, you know, in, in more successfully. So, again, th- these are these weren't filmmakers by nature, but they had they saw film as a vehicle. And and we, we just helped them structure it so that it became a movie that would be entertaining and educational and inspirational and, and hopefully make a difference and increase breastfeeding in America. Uh, John, tell us where people can buy your book and also how they can reach you. Well, I have a website for the book, filmmakingforchange.com, and, of course, mwp.com. Is, is Michael Weesey's website. I would encourage everybody to go there if they're interested in making a film. There's, there are a lot more resources than just filmmaking for change. Um, and then my, my primary company is causecinema.com, and that's the place where, where audiences and filmmakers can learn more about the, the best social impact films that are playing and, and where to find them right now, which is, I think, becoming increasingly difficult with all the noise and so many films and so many platforms. And that's uh, John at CauseCinema.com. Great. All right. Let's go to uh, product placement and sponsorship opportunities for funding. Sure. Well, there, there are a lot of examples that I talk about in Filmmaking for Change. Uh, you know, one of the 
one of the most obvious is is a film um, that Morgan Spurlock did um, with 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 Palm Wonderful, you know, the pomegranate drink, and um, it, it was really interesting how he did this. So basically, he he, he wanted to make a documentary about product placement and and about the issues and, and consumerism, and it, it was really an interesting an interesting story. But the bottom line is he he managed to talk sponsors into giving him money to be part of this movie. And it, and it kind of goes back to the, the old days. And you think about all the different product placements like Reese's, Reese's in, in ET, you know, I mean, there, there's product placements been around a long time. You watch a movie, you see a computer and you see the Apple logo or you see the Dell logo. But I think that you definitely go to different companies to, to try and get them to give you some money in order to have your, their products in your movie. I, I use the back nine as a good example. I went to Cutter and Buck and uh, they do clothing line. And I asked them if they wanted to outfit me for all of my tournaments and the travel and that I would wear these, these different articles of clothing over the course of the film and in interviews, if they would provide sponsorship and, and they did. So it didn't. Well, it was, they didn't. Excuse put me. On. When you say sponsorship, did they give you money in addition to the clothes? Cutter and Buck, in this case, did not. But but that's not something that. I mean, it is possible. It happens a lot. I would say that there are more opportunities in in the fundraising categories to to raise money for documentaries specifically in in the grants and and in the in the crowdfunding categories than in sponsorships. Um, it is absolutely worth going after partners to help you. And I think that my suggestion would be not to necessarily think of it in terms of how much money will they give you unless you've got a huge idea and a big movie like, you know, Racing Extinction or one of the bigger documentaries that, that's going to cost a lot to make and likely have a really wide distribution. And there's some kind of guarantee because it's an Academy Award winning filmmaker it's really difficult to get too much money, but what I would say is that you can usually get product. You can get airlines to give you tickets if there's some travel, so that saves your your budget hard costs. You can get gear. You can get you know GoPro to give you cameras. You can you can go to different organizations that can give you gear, equipment, or any kind of product that can save your budget hard costs as valuable as, as them giving you money. Okay, that makes sense because many times, as we say, they are first or second time filmmakers, so they're not quite sure what the quality would be, but they would uh, give you the merchandise free to for the free marketing. That's very That's a very good idea. Now, what about budgeting for marketing expenses early? I find that's always a problem with filmmakers. That's something they forget to do. And I'd love to know your uh, thoughts on how much for a doc you would put in there. Yeah, well, I think it really depends on the on the category. I would say that just in general, there there are a few things that are sometimes overlooked. Um, you know, one of them happens to be you know film festival strategies. You know, it, 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 I think that there's an assumption that, you know, you, you're going to make a great film and it's going to get invited to Sundance and they're going to fly you in and put you up and all of that. Well, the, the truth is that the, the percentages are pretty low 
in terms of the number of movies, if, if 10,000 movies are made on a given year, you know, they can only show so many. So I think you got to be realistic and know that you're going to have to, you're going to get, you're going to get into some festivals if you make a decent film, but it's likely going to cost you some money to do the festival circuit. Not only do you have to pay for application fees, but you have to pay, you're probably going to have to pay for some airline fees if the, if the festival doesn't cover that, or you might have to cover your own hotel. Some festivals have airline deals, but they don't have hotel deals. So it really just depends. And that's a category that I've noticed a lot of filmmakers don't realize. And if you, and if you want to do festivals, which I think is important to generate awareness and create an audience for your film, maybe some awards, maybe some reviews, it's an important piece of the distribution game, but there's a cost and, and it could, it could cover a year and, and it's, and it's expensive. And then another cost that a lot of filmmakers overlook is, is handling the deliverables. Let's say that a film, your film is acquired by Gravitas or some other distribution company. Well, they have a list of deliverables that you have to provide to them. And, and it may, you know, it, it may cost you $10,000 when all is said and done, you have to have your, your DCP done. You have to have your closed captions. You have to have your E&O insurance. You have to have the, the clearance and title report. There's a lot of different bells and whistles. And in this new digital age, you don't, ne- you don't need to strike a print. You don't, I mean, there are a lot of things you don't have to do anymore, but there are some, some essentials. And I, and I have a list included in the resources section in the book. Um, and I, I think, you know, the the more obvious things are like to make sure you have somebody to help you design a website. You know, you can get websites for free now, but you still have to have it designed well and have some nice graphics to look professional and have a one sheet made for your, you know, poster made. And, you know, if you don't have a deal up front, you might have to make your own DVD jacket. Uh, even if you're not selling a lot of DVDs, you still, you still have to be thinking about the opportunities to, to generate and monetize your, your, your movie. Exactly. That's quite right. And the other thing that they need money for is social networking. It's really hard for a producer to do all the work on the film and handle the day-to-day social networking and promotion that needs to be done to, to promote the film while you're making it. Well, all right, let's go Absolutely. over. To, and don't, yeah, it's, it's always forgotten and very important. You say... Um, Consider the best locations, but consider the logistics in terms of sound and crowd control because you can't afford to waste time waiting for quiet to shoot. Time is money. So that's a great statement. Let's talk more about uh, production and how to save money or tips that you could give us. Well, a few of the things that can be taken for granted are, you know, just the basic essentials like recording good sound. And and if if for example you you live near in Los Angeles where I live and, and you want to shoot on a certain location outside if you if there's you know five airports within an hour of, of where I am and you got you got to deal with planes and sometimes you know if you're on a if you're on a movie shoot you hear you know holding sound for the plane so you, you got to just know that there's going to be some some times in between those those exterior setups are going to hear planes even inside sometimes you hear planes so i think it's important the other thing is you know with, with documentaries a lot of times there's interviews 
you know, if you're in a crowded office space or in a, in a um, restaurant, for example, you know, you got to think about when is it going to be the most crowded? And sometimes you might want, you know, a sound bite from somebody and you want to see a big crowd in the background. And if it's just a sound bite, that's fine. But if it's a sit down interview with one of your experts or one of your heroes, it's important to kind of scout in advance and, and think through the timing. If it doesn't really matter what time it is for the, 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 the subject of your movie, but you want to be in a certain location, you know, find out when you can get in there. And also if, if you're shooting at night, then you got to allow time for lighting. And exactly. that can take up to Hours. an hour to, to light a scene. So, so right. those are considerations that a lot of people don't really think about if they haven't been in the director's chair before. But it's important to think through each of the locations and what you're trying to get out of it and think about the, the, the lighting control and the sound control. Good. Now, <clears throat> give us some tips for showing at festivals because you really understand festivals. You helped, you were a co-creator of the Sundance, Slam Dance, rather. So tell us about festivals. Well, I think the key is I've done consulting and, and done festival strategies for a number of years. And I think the first question that I always ask is, you know, what is your goal for, for playing the festival circuit? Is it to sell your movie to, you know, The Orchard or A24 or Fox? Or is it to find an agent to help you develop your next project and find a network uh, you know, everybody kind of has their own. I had a f- short filmmaker one year that played over 180 festivals, and he admittedly just wanted to travel the world and, and, and take his <laughs> film under his, under his arm. So I think it's important to know what your goals are. If you've made a social impact film, chances are you want to play festivals where you, A, can, can get some credibility that could help you get acquired and, and, and maybe find an opportunity at Netflix, for example, or, or one of the other platforms, um, you want to be in festivals that have some credibility. There, there are o- over 5,000 festivals now, and, and frankly, 3,000 of them are not worth time. <laughs> so, you know, and everybody that, that has access to a screening hall or a theater seems to think that their town needs a festival, and I, I think that, sadly... It doesn't do filmmakers any good if, if you, you, you get invited to a festival and there's three people in the audience. So it's important to play credible festivals that mean something to the distributors or that mean something to audiences. You don't have to be in Sundance or, or Toronto or Cannes, but you have to play credible festivals. And then the other thing is to, to think about where you're, where you're going to premiere the festival. It's something a lot of people don't think about and the, you know, they end up getting an invitation to a small little festival in the middle of nowhere. And they're so excited to be honored with that invitation that they play there. And then some, some of the bigger festivals that have bigger audiences that have more prestigious awards and the distributors um, really track have really strict premiere rules. So if the film is already played in one or more festivals in the United States, for example, they won't show it. So it's important to kind of know the rules of the game as you start to apply. And another tip I try and give filmmakers is that, you know, a lot of film festivals will will look to previous festival catalogs to find new projects 
for their for their coming festival and and they'll oftentimes waive fees so if you played a festival you know in the early part of the year and you're interested in playing some of the fall festivals if you if you take the time to send an email to the programs and say look i just played in cinequest or i just played in seattle and i'm very interested in playing in your festival would you waive my fee if it played in a credible festival, there's a chance that they'll waive that fee. And so I, I urge filmmakers that are always trying to, you know, count their pennies not to necessarily send out, you know, 300 DVDs or, or screener links right out of the gate. You know, kind of think about it in terms of the calendar or when the when the festival dates are for, for deadlines. That's like a great money. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That sounds great. Now, you mentioned you really need to play the, uh, know the rules of the game. Where do you find those rules of the game? Is there, are there any books on um, film festivals there's that you a lot would of recommend? It. Well, there's a lot of it in, in my book. I talk about a whole, whole section on film festivals, so I cover a lot of that base. There's also a book on MWP.com. I can't remember the name of it, but somehow film festivals is in the subject and and it's a it's a pretty good book i'm sorry i'm blanking on the name but mwp.com will have it um i would also say there are websites um probably the most important one springs to mind is is indiewire's site they have a filmmaker toolkit and they have a, a section that really focuses on on film festival play oh good indiewire was acquired by variety uh, a year or two back, but but they still retain their own URL, I believe. So IndieWire is a good source, and they have great newsletters. You can you know subscribe to their newsletter. Okay, well, um, just uh, in closing, I want to learn something from you about distribution. What do you advise? Well, again, I think it comes back to what your goals are. Uh, you know, some filmmakers in this space are more interested in playing their movies. In, in schools uh, and, and, and in, in that space than they are in, in movie theaters. Obviously, it's more challenging to, to get a theatrical release, and it, it can sometimes be you know, cost prohibitive anyway. You spend a lot of money to release a movie in theaters. But there are companies like um, Distriber that, that help filmmakers find the different distribution platforms if they don't have you know, an, an agent or, or a distributor. Um, there are few different platforms that are growing now. Um, Canopy is a great one uh, that has deals with, with schools and libraries, or if you're a, a, a member of that library program or, 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 or from that school system, you get access to their titles, and Canopy's a terrific distribution opportunity for these types of movies. Um, you've got the Video Project, which is acquiring a lot of these types of films. Um, you've, you've got FMTV that's doing a lot for for food and health and wellness. So I think there are a lot of platforms out there. I mean, companies like Netflix and iTunes, you can't just send your movie to them and say, can, can you show my movie? You have to go through a vendor. But if you go to Distriber, they can actually become that, that vendor of sorts for you. But there are a ton of articles out there, and I, I, I do reference a lot of these in the book, on, on distribution. And I think that more often than not, people end up on Amazon and they'll find their way to iTunes. But ultimately, I think the key is to find the right home that that 
the company will actually give you some some TLC and, and help you find an audience. Otherwise, you just languish there. And people don't even know you're there. Amazon has 16,000 movies or something like that. Oh, so my gosh. How do you – yeah, yeah, you just become part of the carousel. So I think it's important to, to find a company that will put you in the right position. There's also some great companies, uh, Tug, uh, T-U-G-G.com, does some a great uh, theatrical – event release in, in a way they, they take films and they, and they um, book them into different theaters in, in kind of odd times and, and you come up with a creative strategy where you set a threshold and if, if, if the film is announced and they sell a certain amount of tickets to hit your threshold, then it's a go. And, you know, maybe it's 20 people, maybe it's 50 people and it's a go. And now you've got the movie across the country in different theaters and Tug manages that whole program. So there are some really exciting opportunities for independent filmmakers right now. You just kind of got to do the research. Oh, you sure do. And Tug has a wonderful uh, distribution setup that's brand new or about a year old now for um, non-commercial or not, uh, films for docs, really. It's for, um, it takes you into libraries and schools and community yeah. screenings. Yeah. Yeah, so, they're great. Under, I've done a lot of yeah. work with them. Oh, you have? Oh, I think they are good, too. Well, thank you. Tell us again how people uh, can reach you and uh, and that where they can buy your book. Sure. So uh, my my email is jon at causecinema.com. That's C-A-U-S-E cinema.com. I also have a production company, Cause Pictures, uh, and, and, of course, filmmakingforchange.com is the best place to get the book, and I am going to be starting a podcast and blog around filmmaking for change and, and helping filmmakers to get all these answers. I'm also going to do a few book signings for anybody in Los Angeles. I'm doing one January 16th at pa- Pages in Manhattan Beach and then at the Redondo Beach Public Library January 27th. So that information will obviously be on the website and uh Michael Weesey, MWP.com. Definitely worth checking out because they have a lot more books besides Filmmaking for Change. Yes, how lovely. Oh, thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to meet you and to learn all about your brilliant book. Well, thank you. I enjoyed being with you. Okay, Claire, thank you very much for hosting the show. Always a pure joy. And, John, thank you. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Great to meet you all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care. Be well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice. Fair use successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. 
If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's david, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.